Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 97th episode of a somewhat frequently occurring footballing podcast. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside a good, good friend of mine, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are you doing tonight? Uh, Footy Zach, managers getting fired everywhere. Footy. <laughs> There's no better way of, of putting it. That's precisely what is going on and pretty much the occasion for the podcast. I uh, I was listening to, do you ever listen to TIFO, TIFO football podcast? I don't. Oh, you don't? You should really listen to it. It's great. It's, it's done by The Athletic. Um, it's like a branch of The Athletic. Very funny, very good soccer analysis. And they were going over they do an episode one or two every week and they did one yesterday and they were talking about where the term getting sacked comes from have you ever have you ever heard this adam you get the sack but i do not know where that comes from no yeah so 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 i forget every every detail but essentially uh if i have it correct it was that like 100 150 maybe maybe longer maybe like 200 years ago in england uh, when child labor was was abound and approved across all jurisdictions, uh, children would go to work and they'd they'd bring they'd bring a sack full of like their belongings or something like pretty, it was pretty bleak times for children. They'd they'd bring their sack and or maybe it was with their tools uh, in it too or something like that. That's how they'd transport their their items that prove that they can work. And when they would get fired from a job they'd be given their sack back and unfortunately it would have all of their tools or their items in the sack, meaning like this is yours and, you get, and you're good you to go. And so that, yeah. that's it. You, you got the sack, you got your own sack back and now you, you are fired. Wow. Um, I did not know that story. So thank you for educating me on that. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what kind of resonated with me this week as being something pretty crazy. At one year and four months, Eddie Howe is the seventh most tenured manager in the Premier League. Oh, that's awful. That is that's crazy. Oh, you should have saved that for ten and ninety. That's a ridiculous, ridiculous fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, sixteen months. It kind of lends oh. itself to the kind of trigger happy nature and the instant gratification that is expected from all chairmen these days in the Premier League. It is wild, especially living in America, because, like, we don't get it. Like, in, in our sports, in no American sport is a leash that short for a coach or a manager. And I think the the main part of it, at least from, like, for the majority of clubs in the Premier League who are not going to finish in the top half every single year, is that you're so afraid of going down and the the financial consequences of such. And so you think about like in America, if there was relegation or even if there was like, if you finish with the five worst records in your league, your comp- your, your team gets docked a hundred million dollars. Like imagine how yeah. much more we would see this in American sports. Well, sometimes in American sports, they deliberately want you to tank so that you can start it's, to Yeah, it's the, totally the opposite. So, yeah, so it's a it's a, it's an interesting kind of dynamic that we don't have in the UK. Um, I also really love the idea of college sports being so predominant and being able to draft players from from college teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that we don't have we don't have that concept in in UK sport either. So I mean, there's there's pros and cons either way. I guess is my point. Yeah, uh, for a long time, I kind of always tried to figure out what was better, the American system or the like EPL slash European soccer system. And at the end, you're just like, there are certain things that are better for both, but you know, the two work harmoniously in their own way. 
Exactly, exactly. Well, we got a podcast for you today, listeners. I'm pretty excited for it. We're going to talk a lot about some of the things that we just talked about, i.e. managers on their way out, the teams that have let them go, and who they potentially could be bringing in. Spoiler alert, there's a few of them. Yes, and there are a few repeating names that become more or less realistic depending on on the club in question. Uh, before we jump into the full list of managers, because we're we're gonna we're gonna give a run through, as Adam said, the kind of the most recent batch um, of managers who have been sacked. Let's do a quick recap of the table, as it's been about a month since our last recording. Uh, at the top of the table, Arsenal still in first on seventy two points. Man City a game and eight points behind them. So if City picks up that game, they will be five points back of Arsenal. In third, Newcastle United in a really, really great position, especially after the results of the last five days, which we will talk about. Uh, We are on 53 points, same amount of matches as Man United, who is also on 53 points with a 21 worse goal differential. Um, So big, big kind of part of it there. And then Tottenham in fifth, filling out the the top five there. Three points back of Newcastle and Man United, but all have also played one additional match. Now, bottom three here, I'll go through this quickly because we'll actually do maybe bottom five, bottom six. Um, Southampton in 20th on 23 points. They look pretty dead and buried. Leicester City on 25 points. Bournemouth on 27 points. Nottingham Forest on 27. Everton on 27. West Ham on 27 uh, and then you have Wolves on 28. So right there, you have all the teams that are within three points of each other, either in or out of the drop zone. And that's seven clubs that I've just mentioned. We also have Leeds and Crystal Palace kind of rounding out that group of teams within three points of the drop zone. So really an astounding breakdown of the table that we're looking at. Yeah, it's pretty crazy how many teams are really in contention for relegation this season. Also very refreshing that Newcastle is not one of them, Zach. Yes, absolutely. Um, Yeah, and I I mentioned this before the show. I read an article in The Athletic that was one of the more interesting articles I I think I've read recently. And it was talking about how uh, this is the first year in Premier League history. And this article was written just before last weekend. So every, every club had played around 27 matches at that point in time. That this was the first year in Premier League history that after 27 matches, there were no clubs with point totals between 30 and 35. Um, And the point of that being that every single team this year is either in the race for Europe or avoiding relegation. Uh, And there's truly no mid-table. Like the the mid-table doesn't exist because what what a mid-table is, um, is just a team that essentially is safe, is going to be able to coast with, you know, five, ten matches left, and it doesn't exist. Everybody has something to play for every single fixture, which is fascinating. It is, yeah. And there's um, top seven are going to make it into Europe this year. So um, everything to play for. And, you know, some some, some definite new names that are in in the mix there as well, which is really interesting. It is. It is. Is there any... Is there any club that surprised you more or like a couple of clubs that are your surprise clubs of the season? Maybe let's let's go outside of the top. Let's go outside of the top three because we're, you know, we don't necessarily need to talk about Newcastle right now. 
Yeah, I think um, I, I would say there's there's four that spring to mind. Um, Brighton and Brentford have had great seasons. Um, they played each other last weekend. It was a great, thrilling three-three game cracker. to watch. I think um, I think Fulham slipped off a little bit now. Eight match ban for Mitrovic for pushing the ref. I don't know if you saw that today. I did. Um, so that's I mean that that's them out of the contention. I think probably for for a European spot in my eyes without Mitro. Um, but Villa have been on a surge recently with with Emery at the helm, and um, I think they're 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 about now for a European spot too. So um, I think I would say over the course of the season, Brighton and Brentford probably my two picks, but Villa really coming in hot here at the last moment. Absolutely, I, I think I saw that since Emery came aboard Villa, they have the fourth most points in the Premier League, which is a, is a strong like thirteen or fourteen matches. It's not the smallest sample size, so quite impressive there. Um, yeah, yeah, fascinating to watch the table as it continues to develop. I have a strong feeling that we will be going until the final day in determining whether it's the the title, the top four, or more likely than not the relegation fight. Yeah, that's true. And for Newcastle, Chelsea away on the final day, so easy three points there at Stamford Bridge, I would think. That's a mid-table side if there ever was one, which, again, there aren't this year. But <laughs> Top of the table, the bottom half of the table. There it is. Got them. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed them. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so I, I, since we've spoken last, I, I believe there were five, four – no, five managers that have been sacked in the last month or so. Um, so let's 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 get on the merry-go-round, Adam. Let's let's hop aboard the ride and and kind of run through what's been what's been happening. All right. Well, let's start with I think um, a team that's actually appointed a manager and also sacked a manager since we last spoke, Crystal Palace. So Patrick Vieira, um, I thought the reasoning there I think is is partly to do with. His style, as much as it is the team we're really doing, because um, I feel like they've had more patience in the past for managers who have been, you know, keeping them kind of mid-table or like flirting with relegation. I just don't think Vieira was jiving well there. And as a result, who did they bring back, of course, but the Crystal Palace manager, a legend himself, 76-year-old Roy Hodgson. Unbelievable. Yeah, I love that move. I, I love that move for Palace because, you know, I, I think like I have a lot of I have a lot of issues with what we've talked about before, which is the classic old English manager who comes in because he knows how to do a relegation scrap. Uh, like I think that and I think the times of that are, are kind of ending like your your guys like Pulis, your guys like Hughes, uh, Bruce, um, uh, you know, Big Sam, like those managers are not really in taste anymore. But I think what, despite the fact that on paper, Roy Hodgson is exactly that, I think his experience with the club is a big reason why this is a solid signing. Um, you need a guy who knows how to play with a lot of these players who were on his Villa teams, as well as knows how to kind of deal with the club itself. And so in that sense, I think this is like the exception that almost proves the rule about why you shouldn't hire an old English manager at this point in the season. But it actually is the right decision for Palace. Yeah, I don't. I don't hate this decision. I think he'll he'll guide them to safety. Now, one thing I will add is that Wolf Saha had picked up an injury over the weekend that supposedly is going to keep him out until early May. Um, so that's a huge loss for Ooh. them. Um, anticipating that he'll be gone at the end of the season anyway, but Zaha out until early May now, I think could be problematic for Crystal Palace. That said, picked up a win on the weekend, so you know immediately the Roy Hodgson effect. Um, 
taking over there. So that's really good. I also saw a really funny meme the other day about the three oldest managers in Premier League history. And they were all pictures of Roy Hodgson, Crystal Palace 2021, Watford 2022, Crystal Palace 2023. And, uh, that does make sense. 74, 75, and 76. Uh, so it's perfect. Yeah, that is good. That is, that's pretty funny. Um, Credit yeah. to him though, man. He keeps, he keeps doing it and um, just, you know, you, you can't, you can't knock him for the hard work that he puts in and, you know, the way he brings a dressing room together. So I'm really, really impressed for for him to come back and to be able to willing to take that on in his mid to late seventies, kudos to him, man. I don't think many people would be willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty unbelievable. I agree. I agree. And if he can lead them to safety, which I agree with you, I think, I think they are not, you know, they're not in as much danger as some of the other clubs down there. Um, It is a good achievement, even if he's gone in the summer and they, and they look for a new full-time manager. Yeah. They got some quality youngsters there. I think that even with Zaha, it'll be enough to see him over the line. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. Yep. Um, okay, in order of in in terms of dates, it was it was Antonio Conte next, uh, I believe that that was the next manager sacked after uh, after Vieira. That's true. I mean, sixteen months in charge, and really, this came as a direct result of his criticism of Spurs players after their three three draw with Southampton. Um, An astounding uh, press could, conference. Yeah. Astounding. Like I've, yeah. ne- I've never, I've never heard a manager go in on his his team like that. Well, let me let me ask you this: Do you feel like his criticism was justified? Um, do you feel like he he had a point? I've, I've heard, you know, Jamie O'Hara came out in the press the other day and was was saying, yeah, he he. Here's exactly what um, Jimmy O'Hara is an expert player, now pundit. Um, and so he was basically saying Conte was right. These players don't care. Yeah. Um, it's, it, there's, there's a lack of kind of, you know, you, you, look at, you look at what Eddie Howe's built at Newcastle. And the Spurs camp is the antithesis of that right now. Mm-hmm. Just a bunch of players in it for themselves. Not a lot of kind of like teamwork happening there. And, you know. Was it was it Conte's job to make that happen, and he didn't, um, or do you feel like he's just being overly critical for the sake of it? I I think so. I think what he said was not wrong, but I I do I do also feel as though you can't go out and say everything that that is true, uh, and also like the way in which he said it, uh, going after the club of Spurs talking about how they haven't won anything in 20 years. He was asking for, for the sack at that point in time. Um, and I think like everything that has happened with him this year, with his health, which with the underperformance of the team, um, he, and also the fact that he has been openly saying that he's not talking about the summer. I think he just wanted it to be over. It's like as, as candid as that is. And he was like, well, you can't, keep me on after after I say this and he's also he also has the privilege of being a manager who doing something like that a stunt like that is not going to ruin his career he's going to get another top level managing job um so I think like pretty crazy pretty unprofessional pretty entertaining but also like it, I, I wasn't surprised the more I thought about the fact that he did that and you think about it, like we, we were here a year and a half ago talking about kind of like ideal managers to come in and take over at Newcastle. And like three of the names top of the list were Antonio Conte, Unai Emery, and Eddie Howe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here here they are, all, all having managed in the Premier League this year, and Conte is the one that is 
performing to the, to, the least, to the least. And I, w- I wouldn't have predicted that, especially after what happened with Emery at Arsenal. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really interesting point. I, I think there is something behind what you said about like building a team and being a, a manager who can stylistically do that. Like Antonio Conte for the last, you know, five to 10 years has not, he has accomplished enough that he, he is no longer a manager that comes in with a new project. He is a, like his identity is, is like that of Carlo Ancelotti, for example, a manager who comes in when things are ready to go and he, his skill is making those small tweaks in, in managerial decisions that will either continue the success or get the club over the line. Um, whereas, as you said, like Eddie Howe made Bournemouth into a successful club. He's making Newcastle into a successful club. Um, Unai Emery, I think, has accomplished similar things in Spain, obviously not as much at Arsenal. Um, so, yeah, that's a really good point about kind of the way in which he maybe, he maybe was never good for the job, even though he was a incredibly successful and popular name exactly yeah i don't think we we are a work in progress and i don't think that's where he excels to your point mm-hmm. so so then who's next for spurs i think what's interesting here is um we'll get to chelsea in a minute um i, I want to just throw out here chelsea you're in the hunt for a new manager also but what's interesting to me is a lot of the names that are being touted for Spurs are also being touted for Chelsea. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of overlap to London clubs. Yep. Um, I'll, I'll go through kind of the bookies' favorites here for the Spurs job, and then we'll, we'll talk about Chelsea here shortly. But Julian Nagelsmann, 13 to 8 on, favorite. Mauricio Pochettino to come back to Spurs, same, <laughs> same chairman. Uh, I would be surprised if that happened. Uh, 9 to 2. Uh, Luis Enrique, who's been talked about a lot in the press in recent days, is eight to one. Roberto De Zerbi of Brighton at eight to one. Also, Ruben Amarim, don't know much about him, at fourteen to one. And then Brendan Rodgers at twenty to one. Um, a bit of an outside shot there for Spurs. Uh, you probably talked to your dad about this. What, what, what is he looking for right now as a Spurs fan? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. I, I think like he is. He, he is looking for things that I don't think he's going to be able to get, which is Daniel Levy out. Daniel Levy is – this is probably the hottest his seat has ever been, at least from the Spurs Spurs fan perspective, both between the failure with Conte as well as everything surrounding their director of football who's now been banned from world football for, uh, for the better part of – I believe it's two and a half years um, – a man that was under investigation when he was hired by Spurs. So I think that's the bigger issue. Um, in terms of next manager, when I look at that list, I, I think like, I don't, I don't really see a reason why four of those managers would go to Spurs. And I don't like really Ruben Amarin and Morim is the only one that I think of that list is truly realistic because he is currently the manager of, of sporting Portugal. Um, and, and so I think like in terms of t- if they wanted him, him being willing to take a big step and taking a risk and going to Spurs um, would make sense because it, it's proving yourself in a bigger league. Sometimes you want that risk to be there. But like to like Nagelsmann is coming off a job at Bayern Munich. I don't know why he would go to a club with as much instability as Spurs. Pochettino, I don't think, wants to go back to Spurs, especially if Harry Kane leaves soon. Enrique is a man who has achieved the biggest success in the world. So I also think like the instability is something that would be unattractive to him. And then Deserby, I don't think Deserby is going to leave Brighton. I don't think no. another Brighton manager is looking to leave, especially because they 
very well could pip Spurs for a Champions League place. Um, and I think, you know, if they can do that and then if they can keep their players, like the Zerbi has, you know, he has a lot to kind of up in terms of his stock there. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, and I don't think I don't think they would go after Brendan Rodgers. I think Leicester was a pretty big failure over this year, and I don't think his name is as attractive as it once was. I don't think Brendan Rodgers manages in the Premier League again this season. I think he's he's safely not going to come back to another team for the, for the rest of the season, and it'll probably take at least until the summer to take stock and take a bit of time off to figure out what he wants to do next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. But, so, yeah. Yeah, so... On to Chelsea then? Yeah, on to Chelsea. I mean, a similar kind of conversation, right? Of like manager hired um, amid a pretty unstable time in the club's history. I think the the opposite thing is true here, though, with Graham Potter, a, a pretty unproven coach in the Premier League besides his time at Brighton, um, which was in itself, in inside itself impressive, but not nearly what Antonio Conte, for example, has accomplished. Um and yeah, sacked after less than seven months. What what is your opinion about this one? Was was it the right move by Chelsea, or should they given him longer a longer time? I think that he didn't give them much choice. I think a team like Chelsea, who have recently won the Champions League, who have invested more in two windows than it cost to buy Newcastle United Football Club there is an expectation there of immediate success or at least not being in the bottom half of the Premier League table. I think, you know, this isn't, this isn't Brighton where he could slip into the bottom half and then have another good run of form and kind of pick it up a little bit. There's just way higher expectations here. Um, So while I think I find it really sad to say, I've said from the get go, I thought this was a match made in hell. Mm, Um, I was not, not fond of this from the get go for Graham Potter. I think he should have stayed at Brighton for a bit longer. And then maybe look at the England job when Southgate left. Um, I just, I just don't, I don't love the fact that he took it in the first place, and I think it ended how I thought it would. Maybe sooner than I thought it would, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it being highly successful. From the yeah, I, I agree with that. I also like, I, I feel bad for Graham Potter, but I also think Chelsea made a big mistake in going after him. I, I think he was never in the in you know the marriage made in hell like. He was never a manager who was going to be able to manage 15 to 20 egos of players who all expect to be starters. Like, that's something that when we talked about, you know, what does Conte not have and it's maybe experience in, in kind of building a club, Graham Potter doesn't have experience dealing with that many players who expect first team football. And I think, like, that's where, ironically, Chelsea needed to bring in a Conte, right? Chelsea needed to hit it with a guy who can, who can manage at the top level and, it's it's fascinating to also see the fact that Brighton has gotten better without Graham Potter. So there's there begs a whole different question of like, is he a heavily overrated manager? You know, whether he's a nice guy or not, and whether, you know, it's kind of his fault. Like maybe he just not is cut for, for this level at this point in time. I yeah, I think it's a fair point. Um well it remains to be seen, right? We'll see where he goes next and what happens. But for now, yeah, I think his stock has taken a big, big knock with with how this has played out. Um, that said, I mean, you know, you're, you're a team in Chelsea who's struggling to score goals. Um, and then you've got Romelu Lukaku out on loan in a season long loan, who's just banging him in for every other team he's playing for, except for Chelsea. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, to, to me, one of the first things I would have done was, would have been cancel that loan and bring him back and see what we could do with potentially with him. Aubameyang as well. Hasn't got a sniff recently. Um, you know, top, top strikers there, but like they've, 
they've relied on playing Havertz really as a sole striker on many occasions. And I just don't think that's like an out-and-out striker for him as a solitary striker. I don't think is his, his prime position. Yeah, it's a mess. It, I mean, the the takeover and the managerial hires have all been a mess. Um, uh, and yeah, I I don't know in terms of in terms of like you said before, managers who are who are kind of predicted to be favorites for Chelsea. We we look at pretty much an identical list um, in terms of I I'd say the betters favorite. Uh, are there any managers here that that stick out to you as more likely or a fit that you think would work well? What, what's your opinion? Well, let's kind of go through them. So Luis Enrique is the favorite, 8 to 11 on. Julian Nagelsmann, 13 to 8. Same odds as going to Spurs. Pochettino, 14 to 1. Ruben Amarim at 18 to 1. I just read that he um, ruled himself out of both jobs today, unless he's told otherwise by his um, his leaders at Sporting Lisbon. Ooh. Brendan Rodgers, 22 to 1. Roberto De Zerbi, 25 to 1. And then you've got some outsiders in here. Zidane at 25 to 1 and Simeone at 25 to 1. Fuck no, they're not going to get Simeone. <laughs> no. Simeone, that's never, that's never ever happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Bru- Bruno Saltor, um, Obviously, who stepped in as the as the interim coach there at twenty five to one in the longer term? What's interesting though, Zach, is that I read today that it is all but confirmed that Fat Frank is coming back as interim manager through the end of the season. Frank Lampard will be the interim Chelsea manager through the end of the season while they figure out what their long term plan is. Now, while I don't hate that in theory, Mm -hmm. if you're a club that is going after all of the same targets as your London rivals, wouldn't you want to kind of get somebody in before they do? Think about Mudrick, right? Arsenal were looking at Mudrick and Chelsea were like, ah, we got him. And they took and they snagged him right from under the noses of Arsenal. Funny to me that they would be that. They must have something lined up. That, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is they they must have a coach who's like, I will take over in the summer. I will not take over now. But like, yeah, I I think you're I think you're right there. I think they have to have something set up. So then, does that mean that it's not one of the coaches that is currently available? Not necessarily. No. Uh, I I think Nagelsmann is one that really kind of makes a lot of sense. Um, I feel like Nagelsmann is a manager who like stepped into a weird situation at Bayern. Uh, you could make the argument that was he a little underqualified? Yes or no? I read I've read a lot about how the culture was the issue there that they didn't really respect him and kind of <laughs> the fact that he would longboard to practice was maybe like I don't know if you ever saw that there was a photo of him longboarding to practice and apparently it was not taken well by Bayern Munich because they expect their managers to you know roll up in their Mercedes Benz and keep it professional but I think that like Chelsea and Nagelsmann kind of makes a lot of sense because he's a manager that wants to reprove himself at that high level. I think the challenge, the, you know, a lot of players, uh, he's a guy that kind of wants to refine his own creativity and managerial identity. So I, who knows what they're talking about, but that that's the one that kind of sticks out to me as the most realistic. It'd be pretty wild for Tuchel to get fired from Chelsea and go to Bayern Munich and then Nagelsmann to get fired from Bayern Munich and go to Chelsea yeah. all in the same season. Nuts. Completely, completely unrelated. Just weird, weird coincidences. But top coaches, I guess. So those are top teams that can attract those. Yeah. And I, I yeah, I think like Chelsea needs to pick their lane. You know, are they going to get, maybe they go after a Conte, although there's not been any rumors of that. And I think Conte is pretty much leaving the Premier League forever. But, uh, you like they need to kind of figure out what they want to be doing with this massive cast of characters that they have there, and 
I think like you they might as well try to go after a guy who who wants the instability that they have right now. Yep, Chelsea, where quality players go to die. A hundred percent. Yeah, a horrible place to be. Yep. Look at Brahim Sterling, Romelu Lukaku, just wasting Madrid. away. Like, just awful, awful, dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, even jo- even Joao Felix has been Chelsea at this point. He's looking good, but the team just sucks. Like, it's just not a good team. It is not. It yeah. is not. But yeah. Easy three points last game of the season. Absolutely. So. They'll have nothing to play for. Um, and hopefully neither will we, actually. But I digress. Um, to a team that still has quite a lot to play for, uh, Leicester City is is the fourth one on our list of, of teams for today. Brendan Rodgers' reign finally ending after four years. He was one of the longest-serving managers in the Premier League. Uh, this was kind of a tough one. One that I, I don't know. I like Brendan Rodgers. I like Leicester. Remember the days when I was, you know, a huge Leicester fan when Newcastle was in 17th. Um, but this looks like a team that's just given up on their manager and maybe even given up on themselves. I, I, I don't know. It's Leicester is one of the more surprising, but also like disappointing teams of the season for me. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw yesterday, um, Madison went off injured again. Yep, I did indeed. So, huge, huge injury for them, um, especially them being now in the relegation zone. So, yeah, Brendan Rodgers, four years at the helm, won an FA Cup for them, you know, did some did some great things there. And really a great, when you think about owners, owners and ownership teams in the Premier League, Leicester have one of the better ones. They've been pretty patient. With, with everything happening here, this is a team that was in top four contention for successive seasons and only slightly just missed out. But, you know, this this team and this quality really shouldn't be fighting uh, for against relegation here. This is There's far too much talent in this team for them to be where they're at. I agree. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's where it's like, it's pretty disappointing to see the level of effort that's just dropped on that team. You have a number of players who are out of contract this summer, uh, Yuri Tielemans is one of them. Uh, I know that Madison has a year left on his contract, and you pretty much at this point assume that he will leave. Um, uh, and like Kagler Soyanchu is also out of a contract, a player that, remember like three, two years ago, he was a team of the season uh, player, which is pretty wild to think about now. But yep. um, he's, gone, he's gone the way of Thomas Suchek. So. Yes, exactly. That is a perfect comparison. Uh, but yeah, I think that you have a lot of players that have kind of stopped caring uh, and and knowing that their their future lies elsewhere. Um, I think that Rogers had his issues with the with the owners. You know, the summer when they didn't spend any money, which followed uh, a year of COVID. That I've read, like the Leicester City owners were hit pretty heavily financially. So yeah, it it, it, it kind of seems like you know the. The, the Cinderella story of Leicester City might be might be like reaching the end of its its arc and hopefully they can kind of figure it out and I I hope they don't go down but I have no faith that they'll stay up interesting I, I would say that this this appointment is critical mm-hmm. but if they can, if they can get somebody in who can just bring the feel-good factor a bit I think they're back a bit I think there's enough talent there that they can stay up yeah yeah I don't know they they look really bad they like they look awful when you watch them play um man if they go down though holy shit they'll get some players poached from them 
Yeah, I think they lose a lot of players this summer, even if they stay up. And that's why the job is like, I don't know how attractive the job is. Um, you have some people on that list uh, of of favorites. Graham Potter, I know, is the favorite. I, I I couldn't see him staying in the Premier League this season, going to a third club in a single year. Um, yeah. Rafa Benitez, I don't see Rafa Benitez getting hired anywhere in the Premier League anymore. I think like... The game is pretty past him. Um, and then you have, like, Thomas Frank. I, what? Like, why would Thomas why, Frank... Why would, why would he go to... Yeah, yeah what, that, exactly. that, that one, yeah, I'll, I'll skip over. Um, Tomasin, that's an interesting one. Bielsa is an interesting one. Po- like, Poach Atino is not going to Leicester City. Um, no, there's, there's no way. Yeah. Although, R- Ralph, Ralph Asenhudel might be... Um, a good shout there at 10 to 1 i like i like that one makes a lot of sense i think that he could potentially come in and do a job for them there not super excited about it but i think he'd be somebody that like is achievable for them and could do a job for them that would be willing to come i think you just need somebody to man of it motivate the players um like it you need somebody to just kind of like stick the fire under them whoever that might be whether it's you know somebody already there or somebody outside um but yeah, I think like this season needs to end for Leicester City is essentially it. Steve Bruce is available, Zach. Just throwing that out there. That's true, but I don't want to see Leicester go down, so I hope they don't <laughs> hire him. That's a fair point. That's a fa- fairly big guarantee if that happens. So, so to wrap up our segment before we take a quick commercial break here, a lot of managers have been sacked this season, 12 in total at this point. So, so really kind of two questions for you, two-parter here. How fair are the expectations um, of managers by their boards in the Premier League? And is instant success realistic in 2023? It's both tough and very open-ended questions. Um, how fair are the expectations on managers? Uh, I, I think that, like, expectations are, are, are typically they're typically fair in terms of like achievables. And I think what this season has showed us is pretty much any club can make it into Europe and in what the Premier League looks like nowadays with seven clubs typically making it based on, you know, the cup results. Uh, And you have clubs that are up there or below who like have fluctuated pretty heavily from where they were last season. So I think like, for example, like the goal of let's finish in the top half is something fairly realistic to see um i think like another question though is how fair is the amount of time that managers are given to implement their plan and that's where i think you know the financial reasons why clubs can't go down that kind of creates this like vacuum where where managers are not given any time if they hit a really bad skid and their team is falling towards the relegation zone um so yeah i don't know it's tough i i think like in a perfect world, managers would be given more time to implement what they want to implement, but like just the way that the Premier League and the TV money works, it's never going to be the case anymore. Yeah, I think all all great points. The instant success thing is kind of it's tough for me because I mean Graham Potter was a victim of that at Chelsea with the quality of players that they brought in, right? I mean, he didn't get a chance to really kind of impose his style on there, but when you come in with those higher expectations and more money has been spent and you're coming into a team that's had recent successes, then they are going to expect that. Um, So I think the instant success thing really is dependent on the level of team that you're coming in and taking over. Um, Great to 
great to see an English coach in Eddie Howe doing so well in the Premier League. I think a lot of times you read some of these names, teams are tending to kind of trend to some of the kind of sexier foreign appointments, um, bringing somebody in who's done well in those leagues, or maybe he's like an up, up and coming late 30s, early 40s manager. Um, I just, I love the fact that we as Newcastle went with, with Eddie Howe and is paying dividends. I wouldn't take any other manager in the Premier League over him right now. He just gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, dig- I digress. I think that the pressures in the Premier League as a manager are higher than they have ever been. Yeah. And um, that is, you know, it's a pressure cooker situation. You've really got to deliver week by week. And Eddie Howe says it too, you know, when he's asked about like Champions League goals, Eddie Howe, and he says, you know, just win in the next game, mm-hmm. win in the next game. And that's all you can do as a manager. It really is true. It's just, it's very simple in, in its strategy, but all you can do is win that next game. And I think these chairman appoint managers with that in mind that they're going to continue to win those next games. Um, and when it doesn't pan out, you see these knee-jerk reactions that we've seen from a lot of chairmen this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think it's really fascinating. And and again, the, the, the issues that surround getting relegated and what that means for a club makes it so that their, you know, instant success is, is, is required essentially. Um, and there is always, there will always be a list of managers out there that you can hire. And I think like, that's the other thing is, uh, especially when you're kind of picking between these like lower in the barrel guys, not to criticize them, but in terms of accomplishments, um, you might as well, might as well try the next one is kind of the mentality that a lot of teams take. Exactly. Exactly. Well, well, let's take a quick commercial break. Um, and we'll come back to it here after we're from these sponsors. All right, we are back from what might have been a commercial break or just a few seconds of silence. We at this point we really don't know anymore. Um, but we do know it's a mystery. It, what we do know is that we're back for the second half of the False Nines. This is episode ninety-seven, as I mentioned before. And Adam, let's let's write a little love letter to Newcastle United, uh, one of. The form teams in the Premier League alongside City and Arsenal, the only three clubs who have won all of their last four matches. Um, what a time to be a Newcastle fan. And what in in what a what a difference a month makes. You know, a month ago it looked like we were we were dropping chances against lower table opposition. It looked like top four was was kind of becoming less and less realistic and um, very different time now. Yeah, four wins in a row. We've beaten Wolves, we've beaten Nottingham Forest, we have beaten Manchester United, and then today we pummeled West Ham in London. Um, just incredible. Yeah, we, we, we found form at exactly the right time. So, uh, well, let, let's let's start with that Manchester United win, because I think that's a really good talking point here for, for us to dig into a little bit. Obviously lost the Carabao Cup final 2-0 to Manchester United, so... Here at St. James's Park, we wanted a little bit of revenge. In the Premier League this season, we did not concede a goal to Manchester United. And here, we absolutely dominated them in that game. It was fantastic to watch. Um, beautiful football all around. And just the desire and how much we wanted it uh, was, was so fascinating to me. I haven't seen us up for a game as much as we were up for this one in some time. Absolutely. It was it was the game of the season for Newcastle for me. Um Without a doubt, especially as you said, it coming off the back of of that cup final uh, defeat, in which I would argue Manchester United dominated us by by similar fashion. Um, 
but a better team for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you're like you said it exactly correctly. We were up for it. We had that desire. The creativity of the team was on display. Um, there was really not a moment in time besides maybe that early vowed Veghor shot, which didn't even hit the target, that I was concerned about what was going on. Um, it was very difficult to name a man of the match, like trips with the delivery for the second goal, as well as just his general play. St. Maximin had his best game of the season, uh, I thought, against Man U. Finally, kind of understanding when to release the ball and even understanding that not every pass has to be an incisive one. There was a lot more lateral and backward passing from St. Maximin, which you never really see. Um, Bruno was excellent. Alexander Izak was phenomenal. Um, just, Just a fantastic win for Newcastle. Yeah, I heard a stat today about Alexander Izak. Um, for players that have played 500 minutes or more in the Premier League, um, he is only second to Erling Haaland in goal in minutes to a goal ratio. I think he's at 104 minutes, and Haaland's at like 72 minutes per goal that he scored in the Premier League. So, I mean, we got ourselves a player there. He's 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 quality. He is, yeah, and a very new age striker. Um, can go out on the wing. Uh, can can really dribble. Can kind of look up and, and see the play connect play quite a lot um yeah a, a fantastic player i'm really interested to see you know going forward if if him and wilson will continue to be this kind of one in one out or if there's any way to to bring them both on at the same time um and what what this one did is it put us back in not just the top four but into the top three something that we solidified even more with our win today against West Ham. As I mentioned at the beginning of the pod, we're on the same amount of points as Man U, but with a much better goal differential. Today, obviously, helped with that even more, getting plus four uh, on the side. And this game showed, again, what what a player like Callum Wilson still can do and kind of how he fits such a different role for Newcastle than than Isak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's there for the tap-ins, right? And I don't think that's necessarily going to be always where Isak is. Isak can do a little bit more, I think, from the edge of the box and has a little bit more talent there. Callum Wilson's that natural poacher, that natural goal scorer, and he's finally found a little bit of form again. So credit to the deliveries from St. Maximin today, and then with Jacob Murphy putting it on a play for him for the third goal as well. It was just, it's great to see Callum back on the score sheet again. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, good, good times in Newcastle. I, I don't know. I, I think it's like very premature to call it. We still have 10 matches left, but I looking at our fixture list, I see it being really difficult for Newcastle to ruin this or to, to kind of throw away the opportunity. Like we're in such a good run of form. The only two sides in the top uh, five that we face in the remainder of the season are Arsenal and Spurs. And that's, at St. James's Park for both of those matches. Um, I don't know. I, I'm i not going to call it at this point, but I, I feel really confident. This is the most confident I've ever felt as a Newcastle fan. Yeah, I, 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 could, I could see that. Um, I, I do think there are some challenging games upcoming. I think our next two games are going to be pretty pivotal. We're away at Brentford and away at Villa for the next two games, and then we play Spurs at home. So really the next three games are going to be massive, playing teams around us, also that are in the hunt for Europe. Like if we can if we can get two wins and maybe a draw out of those three games, I feel like we'll be in a really, really solid place going into the, the last stretch of the season. Yes, I agree with that. You're right. This is this is kind of the litmus test for Newcastle. Um, especially against 
I, I think Villa is the particularly interesting one because they are another form team, whereas Brentford and, and Tottenham are, are stumbling a little bit, uh, respectively. So, yeah, I think it, it's going to be a really, really entertaining and fascinating next few weeks. And just as I mentioned before, I, I don't see it ending at least until one or two matches left in, in the Premier League season. Yep. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting last two months to the season. But before we wrap on Newcastle, I just want to talk a little bit. Who would you say are your unsung heroes for our little winning streak that we've had recently? Uh, you talked about St. Maxim in a bit, playing well in the last couple of games. Is there anyone you feel like hasn't really gotten a ton of credit that maybe deserves it? Definitely. Um, my answer was the same after the Manchester United win as it is after today. I think Fabian Schar continues to be the unsung hero of this team. Uh, I think this has actually almost been the case the entire season in my mind. Uh, Botman coming in, you know, a really, really hot young prospect, and he's made a stupendous amount of difference. But I don't think it can be understated how just consistent Fabian Schar is as a defender. He obviously offers a little bit going forward, has that, you know, 30-yard cracker every every season or so. Um, but you just rarely see him make mistakes, and he's a player that gets a lot of knocks. He's on the ground quite a lot because he's throwing his body in, into every challenge and every play. Um, and I think he Fabian Char in my mind, is probably a coach's dream, just a guy who knows his role, knows what he has to do, um, never heard of any sort of, you know, kind of behind-the-scenes controversies with him. Um, and I, I, think, I think he is the unsung hero of the season so far for me. I think it's a great shout. Actually, I was, I was going to go similarly with Cher um, on, on mine, so I'll go, I'll go a little bit differently here. Um, and I'll say Joe Willock. I mm. think uh, maybe not as unsung as, as Cher, but I think that Joe Willock has had also similar lower expectations placed on him this season. And I think he's shining right now. I, I really do. I think, you know, <laughs> Bruno Guimaraes coined the, the term Willockinio um, a couple of weeks ago. And I mean, he's just, he's just playing so well at the moment. Um, Definitely not flying under the radar, like you said, but just a player that I think has come on leaps and bounds under Eddie Howe this season. No, I think that's I think that's a really good shout. I I definitely had my kind of hesitancy to buy in on Willick, even when we bought him as a club. Um, you know, obviously he came in in January and put up what was it, seven goals in about ten matches. Nobody ever thought that was going to continue, but. Um, I was not, there was a while in which I wasn't really sure what Willick exactly offered, and now I'm kind of seeing it come into fruition. A little bit like what you're seeing with Scott McTominay uh, in terms of a player who is becoming a little bit more of an advanced midfielder, making those late runs into the box and, and kind of doing the, the things that you don't necessarily notice right up front. Exactly, yeah. I think he's just he's developed a ton this season and, you know, um, still very young. A lot, of, a lot of good years ahead of him, too, if Eddie can keep yeah. developing him. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I like that, chat. All right. So let's hop into quickly top goal scorers before we round up the pod here. So EPL top goal scorers after what for most teams has been 29 games. Erling Haaland on 28 goals for the season. Harry Kane on 22. Ivan Tony on 17. Marcus Rashford, who's been in hot form recently, on 14. And then Gabriel Martinelli um, has snuck into that top five there with 13 goals, having a great season there as Arsenal's top goal scorer. Um, anything more to say there? Um, any surprises? Anything that you, you feel passionately about? Um, 
I feel passionately about one thing and it's how much I'm beating myself up over not putting money in every single match that Villa plays on Ollie Watkins to score a goal because uh, in the form striker of the Premier League right now, most goals in the last uh, five matches, I think, or maybe the only player who has scored consecutively in, in four matches now Um yeah, Watkins is doing a hell of a job for Villa. One one player outside that top five that has really stuck out to me. Yep. Well, then you teed me up really beautifully for oh. my armchair pundit. Oh, let's go. Wow. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so here's, here's, here's my armchair pundit for the week. Okay. Aston Villa are more of a threat than Brighton or Brentford to crack the top four this season Ooh. that are guaranteed to play in Europe next season. Okay, let me scroll up to the table and, and give a look at this as you as you uh, defend your point. All right, well, take a look, and, and here's my, my stats. And I will say I stole some of these from, um, from online today, but I think they're all good statistics. That's fair. Villa have scored in every single Premier League game under Unai Emery. With 28 goals in 16 Premier League matches so far, works out to 1.75 goals every 90 minutes. Under Steven Gerrard, Villa scores seven times in 11 matches before he was sacked and only netted more than once in a single game. Moving on, only Arsenal, Man City, and Brighton have scored more goals than Villa since Emery's return to the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ollie, Ollie Watkins has scored nine goals in his last 14 league appearances while John McGinn looks like he's been reborn in a more advanced midfield role and is paying dividends for him. He was back on the score sheet this past weekend. Villa have conceded only one goal from open play in their last six matches and have kept four clean sheets in their last six also. And just in general, like Una Emery has taken a relegation threatened team under Gerard and is now pushing for Europe and the dude deserves way more credit than he's gotten in the past. He is a top top manager yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah it's interesting to look at Emery and think you know what what would have happened if he if you know he came to Newcastle and we, we didn't kind of leak that to the press and make him angry and as you said before wouldn't wouldn't trade Eddie Howe for anybody but Unai Emery is a fantastic manager and it is good to see that he is He's kind of re redeveloping his reputation. Um, the one thing about what you said that I'm not sure if I still fully agree with is that they have a better chance than Brighton, um, only because Brighton right now sitting two points above Villa, but also have played two less games than Villa. And I think that that's pretty big. Brighton is in really top form right now. And if they can get, let's say, four points from those two games then they are sitting six points above Villa with the same amount of matches played so in that sense I'm not sure if I necessarily think that Villa has a better chance but I do agree with everything you said and I think that either Villa or Brighton or or both will likely be playing in Europe next season so I just want to throw this out there for consideration my final point May 28th Sunday May 28th last game last day of the season last game for Aston Villa (laughs) Home to Brighton. Are they playing for a, the number four spot? That would be wild. I don't know. That would be wild. <laughs> or yeah. just a European spot in general. Sure. I mean, that would be, yeah, that would be a great success for either one of those two teams to, to be qualifying for Europe for sure. So, With, without a doubt. Yeah. 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 It's been phenomenal years for both. All right, what do you got for armchair pundits today, sir? Um, yeah, so so I I tried to go pretty pretty hot, pretty uh, pretty 
pretty steamy take on this one. Um, I think – do I fully think this is going to happen? That's up for debate. But I think Tottenham Hotspur will lose Harry Kane this summer and replace him with Ivan Tony. Even if Ivan Tony is still under investigation for the gambling charges that he is currently facing, um, trying to be a little tongue in cheek with this, considering the fact that Tottenham, as I mentioned, hired a man for director of football, knowing that he was under investigation for a crime against the Italian FA. But the bigger point here is, I think, I think that this is the summer Harry Kane leaves Tottenham. Um, I think that. His contract runs out next season. Tottenham looks like they're in a free fall right now as a club. Um, a lot needs overhauling. And I think that as you know, as we saw a couple summers ago, Harry is seemingly willing to try to push him move out. And I think that if he gets to the point where he sits down with Daniel Levy and you know looks him right in the eye and says, I promise you I'm not going to re-sign an extension for the club when my contract runs out, like Levy as a businessman at the end of the day, and I think he will have to make the worst decision of his career, which is letting Harry Kane go. But I think you have to get money for a player who um, can get you so much. You saw that Thomas Tuchel made Harry Kane his number one transfer priority at Bayern Munich when he arrived, correct? I did see that, but I I, I think like Harry Kane wants the goal record in the Premier League. Um, I definitely believe that, so I think he would want where does to he, Where do you think he goes then? Manchester United makes perfect sense. It like made perfect sense two years ago. It still makes perfect sense now. They have a player playing striker for them who will never score a goal in the Premier League. In fact, Veghorst. Um, yeah, I think he I think has, he has for Burnley. So I'm yeah, yeah. I meant for, from now forward. That it, but that is fair. Um, yeah, I think Manchester United makes perfect sense. Like they could use Harry Kane. I think he fits into that system really well connecting with Rashford, bringing, you know, Sancho into play. Um, other, you know, Anthony will keep spinning in circles, but that's okay. Uh, but yeah, I think Manchester United is the, the most likely club um, if he was to stay in the Premier League, which I think he wants to, if possible. I think them or Chelsea, those would be the two teams that I would see. Would yeah, there. but just staying in London, I feel like, I don't know, speculating probably, a lot. Probably, probably wouldn't go to Chelsea or Arsenal to your point. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. yeah. Yeah. But we'll see. Interesting. Yeah, I like that one. Good good show. All right. So for 10 and 90, would you like to go first or second today? Ooh. Um, I have no preference. Would you prefer to go either side? If not, then I'll go first. You go ahead and go first. I went first for round trip pundits. All right. Sounds good. Um, okay. This is a fact that – or a trivia that was contributed to me just this afternoon by my good friend Jack Dobrich, a noted Crystal Palace fan. Um, really liked this trivia question, so I'll, I'll send it your way, Adam. Um, since the beginning of the 2019-2020 season, only two players playing outside the big six, which just as a reminder, is made up of Arsenal, Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, Tottenham, and Liverpool. Only two players playing outside of the big six have scored against every big six club. Do you know who those two players are? Oof. This season or? No, since um, in the last four seasons, since the beginning of 2019-2020. Yep. Or rather, last three, I suppose. What a great question. Um, 
Vardy? No, that's that was my first guess. I'm surprised that Jamie Vardy is not it. Another good guess. I like that. No, Danny Ings is is not. I wish I had in front of me which ones he has scored against, but Danny Ings is not one of the two answers. Callum Wilson. No, these are all ones that I thought as well. Um, I can I can I can help you out a bit if you want. Like yeah. I I can give you something. Yeah, give me some closer. Um, so one of the players is playing for a team that we've talked quite a bit about today. Aston Villa? No. <laughs> <laughs> Newcastle? No. Chelsea? No, 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 no. He's played for two clubs in his career, including the club he plays for now. Currently outside the top six? Mm-hmm. Alexander Mitrovic? Nope. Oh, my word. I'm struggling here. I need another clue, sir. He is Ivorian. Oh. Oof. He plays Wilf- in London. Wilfred Zaha, Wilfred Zaha is is okay. the correct answer, yes. Um, and I'll, I'll help you out a bit with the second one. The second player no longer plays in the Premier League. He plays in the English Championship. Okay. Um, hmm. He has never played with Callum Wilson, which takes my first guess out. Let's go with Timu Puki. Timu Puki is the correct answer. Nice. Yes. Very good. Redeem myself for that one. You okay. did. You did. It took me – I somehow I got Zaha immediately, and then I took a long time to get Timu Puki. So, nice. Huh. There you go. There you go. There it is. Um, okay, Adam. So, 12 managers have been sacked this season. Who was the first manager to be sacked? Oh, my God. I know this. I was looking at, I was looking at a list of them. Was it Tuchel? early for sure. Yeah, I believe Tuchel was second. Hmm. I'm going to cheat and look at the table. He's been sacked by he's been sacked by two clubs currently in the Premier League. Not Bielsa, is it? No, Bielsa was not the manager of Leeds this season at all. Hassan Hoodle. No, that is another good guess. Oh, Scotty Parker. Scott Parker, yeah. On yeah. Aug- yeah. August the 30th, he was sacked after losing to Liverpool 9-0. Less about that, more about what he said, that he was playing with a bunch of championship players. Yeah, he, didn't get he, he, he did the Conte <laughs> before Conte did the Conte. <laughs> exactly. He was the one that made it cool. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> cool. Uh, question number three. Uh which of the managers that have been sacked this season once played in the Premier League? And I want you to just try to rattle these off. Not not the number necessarily, but... Which of the managers once played in the Premier League? So think, don't look at the list of who has been sacked, but think about who has been sacked this year and name... There are five that have played in the Premier League in their career. Well, Scott Parker, Scott Parker we just talked about is one. Very good. Um... 
think Brendan Rodgers did. Potter didn't. Conte didn't. Uh, Vieira did. So there's another one. Two. Uh, Jesse Marsh didn't. Uh, yikes. This is not an easy question. Um, oof. Oh, Stephen Gerrard. Yes. Frank Lampard. Yes. Very good. Sorry. It took me longer than I should have. Um, and then, oof, lose the last one. Uh, Grant Potter actually did play in the Premier League. He did? Okay. Yeah, he never. Played for, I think, Stoke City. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. didn't, didn't know that Graham Potter was that successful high up in the leagues. Good yeah, friend. neither did I. He was, he was the one that I wasn't able to think of initially as well, and then I looked it up, and I was like, yeah, look, look at that. There you go. Yep. There you are, Graham wow. Potter. Not a great year for coaches this year. Not at all. Um, okay, one more factual question and then one silly little hypothetical. Uh, question number four is, how old was Eddie Howe when he first took over at Bournemouth? In his 30s, for sure. 37. He was 31 years old when he took over no. at Bournemouth. wow. Isn't that crazy? That's awesome. That's I mean, what an amazing job he did with them too. So yeah, remarkable. Uh, when they were not when they were League One, I believe is when he took over. Yeah, and they were um, managed to somehow miraculously save them from relegation. I think mm-hmm. it was League Two. I think he took them from from the bottom of League Two, um, kept them up that season, and then just soared through the leagues. Yeah, great, great job he did there. Yeah, pretty crazy. Um, okay, last question. Um, outside of the strikers for Newcastle, who do you think has the best shot on goal? When you say best shot on goal, you mean like is the most accurate or? I'd say I'm going to give you a very specific situation. Uh, corner kick comes in for Newcastle. Um, yeah. It, it's not taken by anybody because that would in theory take like trips out of this situation. But anybody took the corner and nobody took the corner. Uh, headed headed away at the in the middle of the box, right in the middle of the six to the top of the box. One of the players who is playing garbage balls recovers the ball like 30 25 30 yards out and all the players are rushing towards him and the entire stadium is yelling shoot who do you want to be shooting that ball um oh Fabi- fabian share easy yeah. question okay all right yeah all right yeah. i was just wanting yeah. to see how, how strong is your I fabian mean, share loyalty tri- trips in a dead ball situation but if that ball is coming out and you know you're relying on somebody to whip it back in and Puts a, put his foot behind it, that's Fabio Charleroi. Yeah, I agree with that. I think may, maybe Bruno, but I, I've never seen him really hit a rocket. I just assume he can do it, but it's it's Cheryl, it's yeah. the way. That's not really Bruno's game, to be honest. I mean, although the pass that he put <laughs> for, through to Joel Linton for the fifth goal today, mm-hmm. <laughs> not yeah. enough was being said about that pass. Also, the ball over the top to Isaac was really nice. Th- three. Um, where, Fab- where Fabianski fluffed it. Yeah, pretty much like four good assists today. Everything but the Wilson second goal. Like the St. Maximin assist was excellent. The Shar assist was Shar assist was excellent. And then the ones you just mentioned. A lot of selfless play to to you know create tap-ins as well, um, where players could have shot like like with um, Jacob Murphy. So 
Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Oh, that would have been that would have been the best of the bunch. Um, yeah, but, the shithousery that would have ensued after that call would have been amazing. It would have. Uh, okay, cool. That those are my five ten and ninety questions. All right. Well, I will take it home with mine, and you're going to enjoy these because all I want is your opinions. Zach. Oh, okay. All right. Yay. So, question question number one: Roberto De Zerbi, Thomas Frank, Unai Emery and Marco Silva rank these managers from top to bottom based on their team's performances this season and their successes in their respective roles. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. So Bright, Brighton. Yeah. Brighton, Brentford, Villa, Brentford Villa, and Fulham. Uh, I mean, Silva would be on the bottom for sure. Um, but Fulham has been sinking pretty quickly, um, although they're going to be fine. Um, yeah, I'd say it's a toss-up between Deserby and I think Emery. Just because I like Thomas Frank has done a fantastic job, um, but to come in mid-season, I think is so, it's so difficult um, and to to accomplish what they have. So yeah, not to not to just go by the table, but yeah, I think it would be Deserby and then Emery. And then Frank and then Silva. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I like that call. It probably would be pretty similar for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, with most teams having nine games left at this point, who are your three favorites for relegation? Ooh, for relegation. I think Southampton doesn't get out of it. Um, so Southampton, yeah. Oh my God. Between... Four teams with 27 points. It's crazy. I think Leicester goes down. I think that, as I said before, none of these players, not none, but most of these players don't seem to care anymore. Um, I think I think they're out. Um, the third spot, I wish that I had better knowledge of the upcoming schedules for all these clubs, but I think just gut feeling is that... I think Bournemouth gets out and Nottingham Forest goes down. Oh, that would suck. But I, I could see it happening too. Yeah, I think not due to like any better quality or anything, but just they've Bournemouth has two wins in their last five. Nottingham Forest doesn't. I think like form is kind of all that I can kind of base this on right now. So Everton survive. Yeah, I think Dyche is kind of it's kind of like Hodgson. Like Dyche knows what he's doing. I think I think also like Sean Dyche isn't in that same category as kind of just like old English manager who will fight relegation like. I feel like Sean Dyche has aged really well in terms of his reputation, even after he left Burnley. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he's a, he's done an awesome job there. And Burnley, who be back at the first time of asking, are going to be a prospect next year in the Premier League. Going to be super exciting to see them under company and, and Bellamy. Yeah, that'll be really cool. Yep. All right, question number three. Will Jurgen Klopp still be the Liverpool manager at the start of next season? Mm, that's a tough one. I've I've... I've talked a lot about why i think the answer might be no uh in the past um just that like it's he lives the most high pressure he he creates the most high pressure job for himself just with his personality um it has to be him walking if if it if the answer is no there's no way that liverpool will will sack him um so i think i think he has one more season left in him i do I don't know, like I don't know how much faith I have there, but I think if you're 
you can take out the factor of him getting the sack, and I think that for that reason, I'll lean towards him still being there. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, all right, question number four. Which Spurs players, if any, would walk straight into the Newcastle starting 11 right now? Harry Kane. Um, yeah, our Sharkers are great, but but Harry Kane is, is better. Um, Harry Kane would... Uh, that is it. Yeah, that was pretty quick. Like, Son wouldn't... That's it? Son wouldn't... In, in ter- walking to our starting 11, Kulu wouldn't, Son wouldn't, Richarlison wouldn't, um, none of the defenders, none of the midfielders. Actually, mm, the one that I'd say maybe is maybe Hoiberg go- comes in over Longstaff. I think you could... Yeah, maybe that one because I think Hoiberg is a really good I like player. That show. Yeah. yeah, so, so I'll, say, I'll say the the classic combo of Pierre Emerick, Hoiberg, and Harry Kane. There you go. Uh, all right, uh, let's go with final question here. Based on performances in the Premier League this season, mm-hmm. name your current five aside lineup. Just based on this season. Just based on this season's performances and no restrictions. It can be all from the same team if you want. You can pick your formation, whatever you think is best. Okay. Um, Erling Holland, five aside would be a joke to that man, much like general <laughs> football. Um, Erling Holland, let's go with Sven Botman. Oof. Yeah. Erling Holland, I mean, he's a brick wall, that man. Uh, Erling Holland, Sven Botman, I will go with um, Martin Odegaard. Ooh, okay. I'm going to go with um, Matoma on Brighton. I like that? Yeah. Oh, he's so fun to watch. Um, and then fifth, let's go with um who's your keeper yeah oh yes yeah. so keeper is included in the five right so it's four outfield in the five and a keeper um <laughs> i'm gonna go with nick pope because in five aside you never have to deal with crosses or corner kicks and that's the one although you do have to be good with your feet and nick pope is awful with his feet um okay i'm gonna switch out then i'm gonna go with ederson 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 okay yeah, yeah that's good I think what? Ramsdale's had a good season too. Yes. So, uh, can make an outside shot for her, or for him, I should say. Did you have a five-a-side? Now I'm curious where that might have differed from yours. I didn't think it through. Um, I will tell you that my inspiration for that came from, I was watching a video yesterday of Sean Longstaff and Jacob Murphy naming their Premier League Newcastle five-a-side teams. And that was fun to watch, so... That is that is good. Yeah, yeah. And they, could, and they couldn't pick each other's players. They had to have completely unique players. In, in those okay. Teams. Yeah, I'm very I'm very happy with my selection there. I think I, I get a good range of physical brutes and also flair and creativity, um, which is kind of what a five-a-side team should be made up of. Yeah, they also played the diamond 1-2-1 one, one formation like you did, so you're in good company there. It's, it's classic. It's a classic formation. <laughs> All right. To round out the pot, as always, pronounce this Welsh word for me, Zach. My pleasure. It is, it is spelt F-F-W-R-N-No-Vowels. <laughs> was that, that was two Fs at the beginning? 
That's right. Don't lie. Uh, it's close. Okay. It's formed. F- oh yeah. Wait. Oh, that. Yeah, the W is just a U. That's right. Okay, it's like a deeper U. I should have gotten that one. What does it mean? Um, it means four. It does not. It means oven. <laughs> <laughs> just a random one for you today. I was actually looking up words that um, are similar in Romance languages, and "forn" was like F O U R four. Uh, is, which is an oven in French. So okay, oh, every yeah, every time I ha- there's like a quarter second where I'm like, did I get it? And then it's never remotely close to the definition. <laughs> you got one or two in your time. I'll give you that. Yeah, I got one. I think it was like grass or something. Um, yeah, that that was good. Uh, cool. That was a, that was a fun word. Um, nice, good stuff. Very good. You're welcome, my friend. Yeah, I, I, I want. I wanted to not throw stats at you today. I thought I'd give you just some opinion-based stuff. Yeah, I I enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. Um, but uh, great, great, great. Well, we will be back in. It looks like probably about two. Yep, just just over two weeks. Um, maybe closer to three weeks with our next episode. Uh, that'll be episode 98. So we are nearing the 100 mark, which is going to be a really exciting, exciting uh, accomplishment milestone to get to. Um, and hopefully we'll be celebrating around then when Newcastle is officially a Champions League side. I very much hope so, my friend. Yeah, yeah, as do I, as do yeah. I. All right, well, until next time, Zach. Footy. Peace.